Welcome to Team Rabbitol Edition 175, Ready Player Thea, Leo Singer hey. and Glitch in the Matrix. Here we are, West Hollywood Jedi. Join the team as we pick the brains of a friend and OG Team Rabbitol, Chica Thea. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's almost like having Team Rabbitol OGs in that music man and bring the heater on because <laughs> Jim is going to freeze to death tonight. I was about to say the synchronicity. I have a heater running for the first time this year. So I felt that ironic. So uh, this episode is going to be the death card. I know that this too shall pass. It's about ending of a major phase to be trusted, which I could go into in a minute, but I'm going through that myself. Surrender, awakening to life and new growth. Stripping yourself bare, shuffling off your current identity, and rebirthing yourself. Raphael, what's the Galactic Heritage card? Here we have number 67. We've arrived with Deliverance. Self-observance, future timeline. After much struggle as a species, Deliverance eventually healed themselves by honestly and objectively observing themselves. At first, this can be a difficult task. But in the end, it leads to powerful transformation as long as it is done without judgment. The power of self-observation is essential for any person or species who seeks transformation. Begin this process now. Just observe. See your habits and patterns without the need to fix anything. It is an alchemical process that produces spiritual evolution on a profound level. The love and wisdom of the Lyran forefathers can guide you. Just ask for their help. So, Thea, I'm wondering if either of those cards resonated for you. And wasn't the death card the Matrix card episode? Am I tripping on that? Well, it was. And I was just going to say, if I could write an actual tarot card, tarot card, that's exactly what I would probably say is like, man, don't think you're crazy. Don't think that there's something to be fixed. Just go into the flow with it. It's supposed to be this way. You're supposed to be like water. You're supposed to not resist. You just... You're supposed to just go with it. Well, that's what's up. Um, I know that we've had you on, like I said, a group chat before, but we've never had you on individually. I'm not exactly sure. Um, I'm guessing it was about four or five years ago. I became aware of you through Facebook. I'm not exactly even sure how, um, like what group or whatever. When are we exactly sure ever, I wonder, Jim. <laughs> Sometimes I have better recollections than not or whatever, but like – Thea, um, yeah, she came in when I was talking to, like, Jerry and some other people. Um, I think a girl you met, I'm spacing her name, Jacqueline. I remember you sending me a, a Kincaid Street or something like that um, picture, so you met up with a friend. But anyway, like, you were crossing paths with people. I think you were in Europe at one point, and I started talking to you while you were in Scotland or so, something like that. That's right around when we started talking. Yes. And it was just very surreal, kind of psychedelic what is you know simulation theory action in you know in a reality all that kind of stuff we'll get all, all this heady shit and I, i'm sure we'll go off on all sorts of rabbit hole trails um but i'm kind of curious and you can be as long-winded or as short-winded as you want like what was growing up like uh what kind of culture were you a part of how did you start differentiating how how did you get where you are now kind of thing 
because I talk in like timelines, uh, typically I'm going to say that I was Amazon.com in the 1970s to fulfill my mother's ego. And what I mean by that is often we are shopping, browsing, doing stuff and buy things impulsively, or because we feel like we need the reputation points like armor and a game, you know, just to get us to that next level or that peace of mind. And our ego says we need this. And so in the 1970s, my mom was barren and she was also part of, she just uh, changed over to Catholicism. And growing up being an abused person and escaping her life through marriage, you know, you either were a wife or you went to work. And, you know, if you were a wife, you were expected to have children. And when you're barren, you know, what kind of life do you have, really? And so my mother and my father, after they uh, bought my brother, adopted my brother in the womb, they immediately said, you know, what's the fastest way we can get another kid? And so I was fulfilled for their ego. So you're coming from where? I'm coming from South Korea. I was an abandoned orphan. Uh, so I was found in a dumpster somewhere and put in an orphanage. Uh, I think I was disabled because I'm pretty disabled now. And I uh, walked with crutches, but I was, I don't even know. So the story is that um, in South Korea, when you at that time, when an abandoned orphan, because they were not really viable, uh, if if they were put in the possession or the ward, the whatever of uh, of the police department, which is really strange to me. I guess they don't have social workers, but for whatever reason, you have to be six months old in order for you to be submitted into an orphanage. And whatever that day was on that particular morning when the officer found me, you know, he made a report that this baby was six months old. And I was immediately, you know, taken to an orphanage. That man saved my life. That woman saved my life. Um, and I don't know how long I was there, but they say that I'm six. Uh, I was six months old in August. So, um when I got to the U.S., it was in January, so I was just barely born. And when the doctor examined me, they're like, oh, this is a brand new baby. So something was going over there. So you kind of think, well, what what am I supposed to do with all of that being an orphan and kind of discovering, you know, I didn't ask to be here. And when you get to a point in your family that you realize that they're ultra conservative and ultra believing in this being called God and everything revolves and resolves around him, a father figure and having, you know, parents that were really difficult with me to, to the point where, you know, I, I excelled so well in school that just to get, escape them. And I have no contact with them for the last seven years. It was a really difficult situation growing up secluded on a farm in, in the U S in California which is a non-typical lifestyle <clears throat> where you don't, you have acres and acres of land and no other people. So super secluded because my parents thought, well, if we just um, sequester the kids away from the evils of the world, then we can train them. They, we can mold them into what we want them to be. And, you know, that's a failed experiment. 
So growing up as an experiment, you kind of go, well, that's the pattern of life. Everything's an experiment, right? But you're still stuck in this church and ideology. And once I got wind of Martin Luther, man, everything kind of changed. I went to a school because Catholic school wasn't, uh, was too expensive. So we went to a Lutheran school because my parents didn't know any different. They said, well, it's a parochial school. But the ideologies are completely different. And that's when the great rift for me happened. When I went to my priest and I go, why am I supposed to confess my sins to you? When God is supposed to be all around me and I'm supposed to be, you know, taking that poison out of the air between us. Isn't that what it's all about? Well, you know, when the priest said, well, that's some people need help talking to God and that's why I'm here. I'm like, yeah, but you guys always tell us that we can talk to God at any time. What do we need you for? And that's when, like, I think I was nine and that's when the great rift and my great awake, my first awakening happened. So I don't think it's too uh, surprising that it's the first of the Lyran cards, which is like a lion kind of thing. And we're presuming that you're a Leo. I mean, I've met you a few times and hung out. I can I'm see you being a Leo. Yeah, I know. I'm just saying, based off of the data that we have, like it's up in the air, I guess, but we'll presume it. Um, and you've changed your name legally since uh, I met you. But what, uh, what? I'm curious what your original name was. And it sounds like you went from Korea, South Korea, not North, but into like almost a Christian North Korea where it's just like, look, we're going to be isolated exactly. and not fuck around here. Um, so I guess keep going with what you were saying. Like you were doing well in school. Um, I think you were even a cheerleader and stuff at some point. So what were, what, I mean, were you growing up in a mostly Caucasian environment or how did that feel and stuff just and, on multiple levels? And Rafael, go for it. Yeah, and maybe before you continue, just if you know anything I want to share, I think your story is incredibly interesting, especially because this is a, you know, recent phenomenon, let's say, or occurrence, just in terms of, you know, resets, repopulations, and uh, uprooting individual and collective lineages. So therefore, I would just like to ask, do you have any clue about your parents or anything like that, or about a situation as to maybe why many children were given up as orphans or if you know anything about that i'd be curious for sure um you know there was a lot of um prostitution there was a lot of gi uh in the 1970s it was post uh, korean war um you know there was a lot of gi activity we have a base in Tucson, and um my dad is spaniard and german my grandmother Shirley is a is my favorite person in the world, and you know she grew up speaking German to me, and my grandfather spoke Spanish to me, which was funny. You know, I grew up very, very atypical, super, super atypical human being, and and I'm grateful for that. I think about that. Okay, all just the to time be clear, these would not be your biological uh, relatives, though. Not that this really matters, but just to understand. Yes, these are my. These are not my biological. Now, my biological ones, I'll never know unless I take a right. test and somebody registers um, my DNA. That I believe in the idea of, of uh, engrams um, that trauma happens and we can see it on tapeworms thirteen generations back. My my gut feeling says that I was I was a 
prostitute's daughter or something like that. The people who like to examine me say, well, you have royal, you know, features to your body. You're probably Mongolian. In fact, when I was in second grade, my uh, my mother was uh, raged against my second grade teacher because her uh, time out time was uh, an area called Outer Mongolia. And she, my mother said, do you know what she's going to experience? She's Asian. She's probably Korean. You're damaging her, you, you know, insensitive crap. So, <clears throat> you know, you know, she had some sort of an awareness. But I have no idea what my biological parents would be like. I don't know where I came from. I don't even know when I was born. I don't know anything about me. It's kind of exciting. That is rather freeing in a certain sense. So keep going. Like, what was culture like growing up? I mean, did you fit in? It sounds like around nine, you've got the great schism between Protestant and, you know, the Reformation writ large in your own life and kind of saw the division within the internal camps known as Christianity. Where did that keep going? What were your interests in school? Um, like, how, like you know, what concerts were you going to? That kind of stuff. Uh, were you into psychedelics in Amy high school Grant, or college? Amy Grant. Oh, so you were a hardcore Christian. Yeah, there's a there's a show um, currently on Amazon like songs called from the, the Loft, Boys. Amy Grant, or like later Amy Grant, because at one point she was no, getting, like, I, I celebrated into, like, her MTV. entire. Yeah, that was the 1990s when she did uh, Baby Baby. I remember that. Right? Yeah. I remember when she was in the 70s, like El Shaddai stuff. Yeah, I sang that more than once or twice or 50 times. It's a good track. Yeah. I'll get yeah, it. I mean, I it's a good it. song. Uh, yeah, she had something called Songs from the Loft, which is like a like a kind of same thing with like uh, Keith Green. I think the guy's name was. He died in a plane crash. But like there was like this kind of Jesus revival in the late 70s, early 80s uh, with that kind of stuff. Go on, oh, yeah, that was off. a good time. No, that was a good time. The hippie movement found its voice and the anti-psychedelic group formed a, a different group of the Christianity type. And it happens every single civilization. We shouldn't be like surprised at the patterns that if something has a good idea and that something freeing, then the other factions are going to do the same. You know, I'll go back to this idea of Warhammer being a really good um, template for like how easily it is to sort out humans and the history of life. But you know, can you briefly to, go into like, that? What do you mean by that, Warhammer? Oh, yeah, I was going to say. He might not know. It's a tabletop game. No, no, I know it of the game, and the thing is that I think I've been playing... Oh, what's it called? Warhammer 2? Something? Like a video game? So I, I know a bit yeah. of the realms and, like, the, you know, races and so on, but what do you mean by that exactly in terms of storyline? I'm not too familiar with the story, but maybe just give us the brief uh, spoilers. Well, the first thing you want to know is it... it surrounds this universe this this ideology that there was a great rift there was some sort of problem where somebody was uh judas and there was a man called the emperor who creates this machine to help people genetically um uh give offspring 3d print these super beings to wipe out the um the bad stuff in the universe, basically. But what most people don't understand is that 60 million years before that, there was a robot race or there was a, a race of humans 
called the Necrontier that traded their bodies and try biotransference for metal, for living metal. And that the king who ordered this to somehow save the people. And by the way, the reason why they they took uh, the the plea deal with these gods, the great deceiver and the night bringer. And I mean, I'm, I'm all in this stuff. It's disgusting. I know, <clears throat> but <laughs> the reason Actually, why... Geek out. It's beautiful. No, but the thing is, first, you know, it's not, and I would like to reiterate here because I've been contemplating this quite some time, this whole oh, idea about, you know, video games, uh, stories, you know, magic, Hollywood, all of these yes. things. Because then you come to realize, especially, you know, the one example I always like to bring up, if you haven't heard it from me before, is the whole idea that the part of the channeled material by Boshar and Desiroyal refers to the Orion system wars. And this is basically the Star Wars story, at least according exactly. to these varying sources. And so what I want to say and actually would um, contend in a sense is that especially those stories that find great resonance within the population just at least for me logically deducing that just makes it more likely that at least some fragments or aspects yeah. or processes within that story are highly relevant obviously to many which is why they resonate towards it and then you know play the video game watch the movie whatever but um probably seen from a certain perspective one could then glean you know, relevant historical elements or traumas or retrace storylines, at least, you know, insofar as that particular collective reality is relevant. But I would say because any in any it, it would seem kind of random or you just say, oh, it's just fun and games or just entertainment, whatever. Um, but how but when could you it... add the dice, when you add the math to it, it becomes something really interesting. And Jim and I talk about God math. You know, I'm geeking about this, but I didn't mean to interrupt. But yes, a hundred percent, there's something to it persisting. Right, and just want to say that, uh, or the other funny joke. I mean, that's a bit different relation, not so much in history, but um, then I'm joking like, why are or have even still are uh, you know children and so on attracted to playing a game like Super Mario, which essentially was engineered, as I understand, through either psilocybin or LSD. Um, I mean, just, you know, look at the game, right? <laughs> um, so there's a reason for that. I would say in that particular case, just because they're still more resonant with the whole DMT realms and so on. So that's why, you know, like flashy things. And I mean, who doesn't like flashy things, right? That's how advertisement works. But still, yeah. and then the same thing with storylines. So simply put, many people gravitate, just makes it kind of likely and logical to me that there's something there, you know, to learn, to discover, to understand. And it's not just a story especially if you in particular find it interesting and even more so if you know grand amount of people are you know uh, highly gravitating towards it but there's always similarities within the culture so we have this warhammer and we have the star wars and we have the super mario and we have all these different cultures and yet we see the same cast of characters the main character the support character the NPCs, the non-playable character, the quest, the level up, the XP. Man, is it just persistent out there and really seamlessly, beautifully integrated into our own our lives. So were you you were listening to Amy Grant and stuff, were you geeking out already on like magic and I don't even Dungeons and Dragons? Like when did you start turning into the uh, more 
gamer Comic-Con world of things. I wasn't allowed d and I wasn't allowed any of that because that was demonic. The devil. And I was going to say, I was going to say there's a show called The Boys on Amazon and there's a, a character called Starlight, Starlight. And she grew up uh, going to these mega, you know, fest, Christian festivals. Of course, I was a youth pastor, you know, to two major churches. And uh, for the Lutheran church, I mean, I sing in the, um, the, the praise band. And I, you know. And she can sing, Christian. folks. I've mentioned it in the thing. She's a singer. I'll get this, I mean, later. But, yeah, you could sing. So. If people are ever wanting to know if Thea wants to do like uh, karaoke at least, if not more, she's got the pipes. Uh, I it's it's a it's a really what uh, Raphael was saying was something flashy, you know. Like when we talk about Darwinism, we talk about Mendel, and we talk about um, one of my favorite things about the tulips and how the entire economic uh, Dutch um, economy was flattened by. I mean, that's, that's, (laughs) you know, that's, that's interesting to me uh, that somebody would speculate and, and use plants of that, I guess you could say. And we really are plants. I mean, we're just doing the same thing in a simpler DNA in a different way that, you know, different mechanics, but really we're just plants and that's cool. But um, growing up super Christian, trying to fulfill, being in the shadow of my older brother, because when you're a Catholic and you're a dad Catholic, the patriarchy says, uh, just like in China, because there's no difference, men are the only ones that matter, right? So, you know, um, just like when you get a dog, you get a second dog, but there's always a favorite, right? (laughs) There's always a favorite. My brother was the golden child and I couldn't compete. And that's okay. So I ran off and lived my life. I, I I went to school, didn't really like it, just wanted to go live life. And I went to Santa Barbara, one of the most gorgeous places in the world, because I decided that, you know, I'm going to be sucked into all of this life forever. I might as well allow my body and wherever, wherever opportunities allowed me, then I'm going to do it. But originally, when we're talking about gaming, I became a hardcore video gamer at about eight, seven or eight. We um, were about ready to go to Pakistan for a year as a missionary or so. And I, I, we lived. Did you go? Right. I didn't even know that. Holy shit. Okay. Well, we'll have to get that. Yeah. I'm really great. Yeah, really grateful. Like, uh, so if you if you've realized that you know, okay, well, I don't know why I'm here, but I'm gonna sure make the best of it. When you open up a game, you you that's an open world game. You don't know that you're gonna gain a skill until you actually gain it, right? So, um, my brother got a got an Atari sixty four or Atari whatever that was the first thing. And he never played it, so I played it. And I found myself understanding that there was a linear progression to life and that my hand-hour coordination could affect what I did in the virtual world that affected me. And it was a secular effect. And so I started realizing at a really, really young age that if I allowed my mind to understand why am I in the middle of a fucking forest in Northern California growing up in a 
in a walnut farm next to a um, the McCallamy River that dumps into a lagoon in my backyard where I swing into a into it from a big ass oak tree on a rope. And then my um, my distant cousin comes and teaches me how to pan for gold in my own backyard. And he happens to be the creator and vocal um, artist called Donald Duck. His name was um, Clarence Nash. So you start wondering, why are all these opportunities? Why are these humans, this guy, Clarence Nash, who was such an extraordinary mimicist with his mouth that he could actually talk to birds? And at Disneyland in, in Southern California, Anaheim, all of the bird voice vocal uh, things, um, the tracks in the Contiki room that's currently being torn down, was done by my distant cousin. I mean, so you think about, God, all of these things are happening for you, for you. You may not understand what it is in the world that can nurture you, but they're here for you for a purpose in the future. Just pay attention, put it in your background like um, a background app. So being a smartphone, as a good analogy now, has allowed me to be able to talk about the experiences going to Pakistan, going to nine different countries when I met you five years ago and going, why am I supposed to do this? And I don't know, but I'm going to go with it. Right. Tell me about Pakistan. My mother uh, worked for a kinder photo. Kinder photo was a company that took uh, pictures of children in a glamorous, you know, glamour shot way. Um, one of the photographers was talented and he was from Pakistan and he invited my mom and our family to his brother's wedding. And my mom at the time was awake, making way more money. She was corporate level. I mean, for a woman who could barely read, she learned how to read when she was watching Sesame Street with us. For a woman who didn't get her degree, didn't do anything, didn't really work, you know, she was stupendously good at customer service and learning how to, like, sell, you know, the, the uh, suspension of disbelief. That's what we did on Sundays anyway, right? <laughs> During the week, we would get beaten and, you know, yelled at and whatever. But on Sundays, you know, good sell. Pull it together. <laughs> yeah, pull it together. So we took it, took him up on the offer, and I, I realized that through my action of my parents, that they were doing the same things. Why not? This is an opportunity that would never pop up. We can say yes, we can say no, and most people say, oh no, thank you for you know for inviting me. No, that would be great. They're like, fuck it, let's go. So we went, and we ended up, um, you know, basically he he found people for us to stay with, and. We stayed with his family. We were there for two months, I think. I mean, I I did my schoolwork to the sounds of six a day prayers because it was in a Muslim country in Lahore. And all uh, while doing to, Christian glamour shots as a yeah, child. Yeah, all right. Slightly Hollywood so, and bizarre in its own way. Right, and so, so you know, my mom is white. You know, she's Scottish, so she's white as a beet. Uh, uh, be white as a sheet and my dad kind of looks like a native because he's Spaniard and German and he's got this black 
you know, beard. So he kind of looked Pakistani already. He kind of looked like every man. And, um, but my mom, people couldn't believe, you know, people would come out and touch her because they'd never seen a white person in their entire life. And they thought that she was something beautiful and special. They just, and I was like, what, what is this? It's kind of crazy. I worked in inner city of Philadelphia back in 2007. Um, and not that it's very comparable. I'm surprised. I mean, it is what it is, but it's like a bunch of these inner city kids who are African-American were touching my hair when I had hair <laughs> and like asking me if I had slaves and stuff. I'm like, what? Like, so that kind uh, of disconnect. I mean, I was just like, Oh my God, like y'all, like I understand it's like isolated. Where here, were you again? I was in Philadelphia in, uh, uh working at a school called Pastorius elementary in Germantown. Ironically, Wait, that's in the U S right? Yeah. So I was like, shocked it was like y'all like i mean a lot of these kids don't leave like the block much or you know like the, a few blocks and i guess they didn't i mean what i don't know it was a weird cultural immersion thing but enough about me so Pakistan, no you and i have a different idea of like oh let's we we believe um that we can fly just like birds we have that option most people don't know that they even have wings right they just don't know so <laughs> you and i uh, on our sojourning just to because we're interested in people because we're interested in ourselves more than anything we connect with people so that we can compare do the math and go how am I like this person how am I just not like this person and if I'm not like this person how do I associate myself or become more empathetic to this person so you're doing the great math during that kind of thing exposing yourselves to Philadelphia kids um, shocks their system a little bit. Most definitely. So it sounds like you were playing some Atari stuff um, that shifted. Obviously, I know we're hopping around a little in terms of chronology, but um, whatever. Time traveling. Here we are. So uh, when you went to um, Santa Barbara, I think that's the home of the Slugs. Am I right? <laughs> no, that's Santa Cruz. Um, okay, my bad. I I became a full-on gamer in santa barbara i landed a job as um as a cigar a cigar manager man i loved my job i somehow <laughs> i somehow found myself managing um somebody's cigar business back in the 90s um in 96 cigars was a phenomenon so this guy um was putting display cases of cigars. It was even on seinfeld yeah maybe in restaurants and i was a good looking you know busty asian girl who liked to wear red lipstick with you know hair down to my hips so even though i was i don't know from pakistan glamour shots to cigar shops right maybe i i mean that built into me a language because there's a language to cigars and i'm just going to tell you that that also taught me Okay, I, I acquire these things so that I can communicate and cut through the bullshit and I call those access codes. So when I learned, and mind you, my mom used to tell me, if we ever see you with a cigarette in your mouth, you're going to eat it. And here I am at 19 or 20. My dad at this point is proud as punch because his daughter now smokes cigarettes or uh, cigars and does it proper and teaches old, you know, um, retired, men or retired horny men 
jaded men how to smoke a cigar on cigar nights because what do they do they have to sell uh, they have to buy a cigar at the restaurant and they'll buy wine they'll buy um you know nice uh glenfiddich or a lagavulin <laughs> so <laughs> i i drank for free i had cigarettes and cigars as much as i wanted until the world came crashing down and mind you i was able to do all this really really well while playing Diablo <laughs> online, and that so you were on the front end of like world. online gaming. I mean, that was early yeah. ninety six. So that was like would, early. Yes, I would go up to visit my friend who was in the computer department at Cal Poly. Cal Poly is world renowned as you know a really you know techie place. So up the up the way, about an hour and a half, was San Luis Obispo, where my biggest crush, Brian was there and we would go into the computer lab because they had a T1 connection. And we would land up and play Diablo all bloody night until school, you know, all weekend. And I would come home and do it all over again, sell cigars on, you know, as much as I can and then go visit my, you know, my crush and play Diablo for as long as I could handle it. As long as there was, you know, Hot Pockets and, and Diet Coke. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I I geeked out and that ended up being detrimental because I ended up trading Diablo addiction to everything else and I couldn't handle the rest of my world uh, because I was playing Diablo way too much. It's funny because I think I watched you. Were you playing Diablo 2 when I was hanging out at your pad last time? Was that part of that series or am I tripping? I have no idea what I was playing. Uh, Some oh, game playing you had already uh, beat it, basically. It was, you were in a dungeon, you were like, check oh, this shit out. And I was like, oh my god, you're just leveling up like, like oh, crazy. Oh, that was uh, Last of Us or uh, The Last of Us, maybe. Because that was No, that's the zombie one. I beat that shit. That's crazy. Oh, man, the Last of Us 2 is, I have it. I don't, it's funny because I don't constitute myself as a gamer, but if I start looking back at my life, it's like we were renting fucking Nintendo 64s from Blockbuster. For like you know a weekend and playing Mario sixty four. I mean, I gr- I remember Nintendo dropping right with the original Mario and Duck Hunter. Um, oh, yeah. My dad had an television. Games have been a part of everything. Chips Challenge to Final Fantasy seven, all the way to more recent stuff like The Last of Us. Uh, actually, you'd probably really like uh, Horizon Zero Dawn. I don't know if you played that. No, I I'm at this point where I can't. I'm I'm gonna do Genshin Impact because that looks like the dopest game right now. Um, I can only do um, short-term games now until I get my next break. I almost like binge on something when I have the moment. Like COVID was really good for me to uh, catch up on games. Like Red Dead Two was amazing to do. Looks sick. Today I haven't was played good, either. Man, jeez. Like uh, uh, and uh, Final Fantasy reboot remake was really great for my psyche to kind of understand the rest of my world. And you know, I like. One of the reasons why I like Final Fantasy is because you can see the hit points, which is really, really interesting for me because I'm like, how do you, how do they total? How do they um, make a determination on how much damage your character is taking, how much damage you're making, you know, based on your stats? And so when I played, we were discussing that when we were playing Cloud, and, and I love that. Um, there's a, a, a character in this particular game called Aerith. And it's it's almost like a perfect, like, 
anagram of my name, which is startling. She's an ancient, all sorts of cool shit. She's a magical, kind of naive, but also very yes, sincere. Yes, me. <laughs> weird. I was like, she likes to pick flowers, and she likes, she believes in bullshit, and she's scared of, you know, things. I was like, oh my god, it was me. So it was weird to to see my name and see the the um, universe talk back at me in the most you know startling of ways. So um, we'll go back to I, I made a video while I was in Amsterdam, and I like saying that because I'm like, when you have that opportunity to say I liked making a uh, video in Amsterdam, you know, with the major things in the background saying Shakespeare said a rose by any other name would smell as sweet and I meant it meant it even if it's a Karen you know <laughs> I meant it my name when I came to the U.S. was Jane Oksu and when my parents adopted me it was Michelle Elaine Carruesco and when I became married it was Michelle Chaudhry, Chaudhry, and so like I've never really had an identity to a race or a culture or any of that because it was like I was a blank person living in this weird ass um, simulation of life that didn't, didn't quite fit with anybody else and and so if you if you live like that, you kind of go, okay, well, you kind of make your own game then. If I can do whatever I want because there's no rules to me, because everybody else is bound by their blood, they're bound by their family names, their legacies. If you were given a character wiped clean and given so many tools, man, wouldn't you just exploit the shit out of that game? So I have. It's been really fun. And when I when I chose my name, I hated I hated the fact that I had a name that any time I heard it meant pain. Uh, it, it meant my mom was screaming at me for something. I was going to get hit. I was going to whatever. I just it was it was a it was a moment of clarity when I could adopt myself. It's ironic to me because um, I have watched the cutscenes, like it's 20 hours or something, of FF7 Remake, um, I think, you know, a few months ago. Um, and, uh, oh, what's the girl's name? We just said her name. Uh, Aerith. Aerith is also an orphan from this, like, ancient kingdom. <laughs> like, she yeah. kind of just is in this new life, um, kind of making things work well enough, but, like, not really being of that ilk totally yes so it's uh highly resonant i'm weeping just thinking about it because when i saw it i i was like why why am i seeing my story in another dimension in a digital life well that's the weird thing it seems like i mean not to get you know too metaphysical about it but it seems like we're all watching each other's stories in weird ways and that's why much like you were saying kind of in um whether it's Dungeons and Dragons or, you know, Warhammer or whatever, it's like there's there's stories that we're telling from perspectives, but there's enough of an overlap that we can all resonate with most of them. But it is always really fun um, when there's certain characters or certain tropes um, or themes or whatever in fiction, nonfiction, whatever, uh, that resonate deeply to our 
personal character as an individual. Um, Raphael, I'm kind of curious what your thoughts are on that sentiment, if any. Well, not in particular. Maybe rephrase your question. Well, it seems like at a meta level, like everybody's telling stories, so we can all agree at that. I call them that. episodes. Okay. Yeah, feel free to talk about this if you want. I'm just kind of thinking out loud. Like, I feel like we are a cable box. You know, we are uh, a streaming of 7.8 billion channels that is watched by the galaxy. Why not? It'd be really cool to be the entertainment, you know, planet of the world. I think it's really interesting that we were all born here just to entertain the masses. And if that's so, we have crossover episodes. Right now I'm having a crossover episode with you and Raphael. And the people who are the viewers of Raphael's life and the viewers, which is huge, of your life may or may not cross over into our lives. But whatever the information that's being given is given because there's a perfect triad of something, you know, like there's the rule of three is is good. It's always good. And it starts with uh, the idea of chance. But yes, similarity. Sorry about that. I never apologize. It's your episode. Uh, and even Chance, like you were saying, with the uh, how are the mechanics of the hit points calculated, it seems like kind of a digitized kind of dice rolling of some kind. I'm not sure exactly what goes on underneath the hood of video games like that. But, um, yeah, uh, it's funny because, um, I mean, this gets into, like, simulation theory and things like that. Um or even Slaughterhouse-Five is kind of a, a, a book-slash-movie. I've seen pit, bits of I haven't read the book, where basically, like, all of this guy's life, he's, like, a time, like slipping through time, and ultimately his life is being, you know, basically reality TV for interdimensional beings, which I think yeah. at some level Bashar would probably concur with. That's what I was kind of getting at with you, Raphael. I was like, what is your position, I guess, between, like, one and you know the monad being of consciousness cool but then like versus like channels or like episodes like she was saying well you know the recent or maybe not so recent meme or even just probably mythological image even where you would say that your oversoul is like a hand and every finger is an incarnation and then it traces back to your arm or whatever which yes. would be oversoul of oversoul and so on and so forth what uh, assisted me definitely was the whole uh, gaming analogy. Even before I then had, let's say, more conscious experiences of the beyond, I kind of formulated this theory. And, you know, big surprise, that's pretty much what it appears to be. Like all those that report back from the in-between states, there will be many more things than what they report, of course. But basically saying... I mean, you chill out, you do whatever you like, and then you choose on a new adventure, just to put it very simply. Um, and, you know, that's good analogy, just like with a game. You know, you go to game lobby, you arrange with a few friends what you want to play, what difficulty level, what setting, and so on. Just now I'm actually setting up, uh, finally again, quite yes. excited, uh, a pen and paper uh, role-playing uh, group or session or campaign. Um, where you do just the same thing. And uh, yeah, for me, it would make perfect sense, especially if you really see it from an elevated perspective and detach from the individual, even then collective human and even galactic drama. And you really see it as just a story out of the one. I think that's 
at least for me, it makes it much more simple and uh, just also goes perfectly in line with all those ideas of immortality of the quote-unquote soul and all of these ideas, you know, and gaining experience, like Thea mentioned, so on and so forth. The things that are interesting to me about role-playing games and uh, in particular Warhammer is that it follows the same kind of canon of each time in history. And there's a particular race called the Tao that found that are super scientists, you know, they don't believe in the psychic energy of, of hippies. And so I feel like if we can take something away from it, like all this is well and good, game theory, um, simulation theory is all well and good. Now, how do you apply it? And the ways that you apply it is if something is similar and we find this persisting kind of narrative, if we are, if the patriarchy indeed is starting to wane and we are getting into the age of Lee where she's going to just rage the hell out of things, we either have to sit up and think about whether we want to become feminists or we want to anger the women to the point where they have 6,000 years of pent up anger and they'll unleash it on you because now they're, their self-defense, you know, they're taking karate, you know, they're about ready to kick your ass, they they wield guns, you know, the air on the side for me is like, the patriarchy dying is all well and good, and the matriarchy emerging is all well and good, let's keep it in balance, and the science uh, becoming um, a greater uh, threat to the patriarchy means that um, science will start going, well, if we can't measure it, then we can't prove it, and therefore you're wrong. And so you have all these women and men who really believe in the metaphysical, and they believe in the energies of the tarot. Like I read uh, cards for somebody I dated once, and he wanted to know about love, career, and finances, three basic things. And, you know, there's something to be said about the science of self-fulfilling prophecy because when we're asking the cards to tell us what we're trying to ask ourselves is what comes out at us what do we need to address what do we recognize we're doing the match game um so for me when i look at warhammer or i look at games or i look at DD, or i look at um, the last of us the things that we can deduce from all of these games is war is endless <laughs> we will have wars Great the end of... <laughs> yeah it's like what can we deduce from all of this game theory all of these thousands and thousands of years of myth and uh wasting our time by either learning something through a video game or or play you know playing something so that we can keep our minds sharp in order to be as divisive and diversive as possible. I mean, manipulation is is a skill. So um, the next thing that I see is science will become almost its own religion, where people will be get, get divided over that. So in the beginning, well past the that next... point already, I'd argue. Yeah. You know? I'm more looking for the rebalancing and higher order level, but yeah. <laughs> so now that's the question is like, now that we have sorted out all the, the things in all the stories where there's conflict, where have we seen non-conflict? And 
why can't we focus on that? And Jim and I were talking when he came to visit me the last time he was here in LA, which I feel like I'm really grateful that Team Rabbit Hole is a face-to-face kind of endeavor where we get together, we smoke a little DMT, I go down a rabbit hole, we have really good talks, we go sing a little bit, go drive on Malibu. I mean, it's a really good life. But, you know, I I told him about this I, this dream I had and I said, man, the world could could have sorted COVID pretty easily if if religion and politics were out of the picture. You know, we could just keep people in their homes and keep people um, with their water and their electricity. The government could have done that and people could have stayed home very comfortably and not felt pressure to go to work. But that's none in here or there. When he was here, right, right before COVID, right, Jim? It was right when it was popping. I mean, it was mid-February. So I yeah, getting on the plane in Australia, like I was, they were like, have you been to China? I was like, no, why? And then I yeah. get to LA, it's like, we could still walk around, but they're starting to get weird. And then when I was up in Judas, like over that whole month in Northern Hollywood, uh, North Hollywood, it was like, you, were, you know, go to the, get weed now or else you can't get it or foods, you know, all the shelves are empty and all this kind of shit. It was kind of crazy. Yeah, we, we hit the tornado together. We had a storm together um, in covid those are kind of the cool things about being in game theory. It's like, okay, storm's coming. Now what do we do with this? And Jim since has launched himself doing his daily reads. I mean, they're fantastic. You know, he helped me kind of carve ideas about the storytelling I want to do, about how I I have a solution, you know, about like why why does there have to be the strife? Why, why can't people just get along? Why do we have to right. be so jealous of, and it really comes down to privilege. It's like, if somebody feels like they're getting an advantage, then all hell breaks loose. And Jim and I were talking about this before. And he was like, I don't think I want to talk about that. I'm like, I know, but racism started in the Bible. <laughs> you know, it just started. I it's older and I'm not that. saying it's wrong or wrong. Yeah, it, it, no, but it's, it, in our written vernacular, like in, in like 20th, 21st century, right. Well, yes, like most of the stories, we don't talk about Greek mythology. We don't talk about the things in, in the Greek era or the classical era. We talk about the common era, which is Jesus and the um, Talmud, and we talk about Abraham. So in the beginning, we have these two people. That's cool. And then we say, you know, don't eat from the... Uh, fruit of knowledge. That's interesting to me. And so when I think about about knowledge, it's like knowledge means literacy, math, and advantageousness, okay, which leads to manipulation, which leads to seat, and it leads to um, hiding things for one's own, not shame, but one's own advantage. So here's God saying, did you, and we're like, uh, shadow. Uh, deflection. All of a sudden, within the first two chapters, we have deflection. And then by the second chapter, we talk about Cain and Abel. And so we have a math emerging. So hidden within the Bible is this beautiful math book about how to be successful. I almost want to say to people, it is the greatest business book that ever was written in in uh, story form. Sponsored so by King Cain James. Yeah, man, yeah, canonized and edited by, you know, because we know 
there are more pieces of the puzzle than this. We just can't, you know, have it all published and and uh, shipped out on Amazon to the bookshelves having, you know, 55 chapters. So <laughs> let's get all the good parts. So the edited version, and mind you, the the Old Testament as we know it, or the Torah, was handed down orally. That to me is fascinating. Why? How? How could you pick people who could have a photographic and oral like memory like that? You had to find the greatest minds. They're like the game designers of their that. time, basically. Right. I mean, it was like, yeah, we're going to simulate this in our own. Like, uh, I think um, Plato or somebody was like, uh, there's a good uh, podcast episode my brother showed me with this Australian lady who's like not that smart. I mean, she wasn't, she doesn't have photographic memory or anything like that. And she's been this world record holder for something because she does what are called memory palaces. And you like Whoa. create these things. Like, I mean, it's holographic. You In your mind, you're like, uh, if you tell a story, oh, you start seeing symbols and shit. Before Go I forget, um, I believe it was Exertus. I watched like one of his recent shows on his YouTube channel. And I believe, if I'm not making this up right now, he mentioned potentially even his father got famous for being able to perfectly recite the Bible or something like that. <laughs> yeah, that's incredible. That it contains so much focus, um, and people think, "Oh, you don't even see anything when you're playing a video game." That's exactly what you're trying to achieve: is you're honing in so much that you are immersed into that. So not it's only like could empathy. they recite, <laughs> yes, full empathy. So these people, what, what they were doing in their churches, what they were trying to segregate, like literacy and low-key uh, low math, because math at that point hadn't been released to the masses. And, and so it's almost like primary math because you could relate. It was relatable math. So you have um, Cain and Abel. That whole story blows my mind. The idea that the second chapter of the Bible talks about, you know, quality um, towards, you know, paying a higher power. Uh, I mean, you're already instilling the idea in a people that there's already privilege, that the privilege goes to God. And so you're instilling that the priests and the people who, who distribute the hierarchy are already going to be favored like piety somebody, as a virtue. Right, right. Yes. So the Bible is just an, an amazing game code of how to make really, really shysty, intelligent, you know, <laughs> you know, humans. Hackers. That will survive, that will hack. I mean, yeah. How do you build a hacker? This is how you build a hacker. The Bible is the Bible code for hackers. And my God, they've done a really good job. Because that's what really engineering is, you know, if you can do it, you know, just slightly lazier, where you can you can have a bunch of babies and have a bunch of wives and have sex all the time and let your children do all of it. That's good math, right? But what happens when you run out of room? What happens when somebody gets jealous and they have to move into a region? Well, that breaks down everything and borders start happening. Stay off my wall, man. Stay off of my area, man stay off my lawn, get off my lawn. You know, so what Raphael is asking me, you know, asking the world and asking our consciousness, begging, pleading, screaming, how do we make this right? How do we get people to come together 
and stop being so greedy. You know, like I'll, I'll talk about something that's, that I rarely talk about, which is my, my human. Um, I told, uh, by that, you mean your child, I think. Sorry. My, uh, my, my, uh, my boyfriend, Bradley, who I love, love, love. Gotcha, gotcha. And, and we live with two other guys and this other guy named Matt is a successful songwriter and I love him to death. And if I have extra food, like I told him, I said, uh, Matt, I want to talk to you because he was playing a video game. And Bradley later on asked me, he's like, what did you need the computer? And I'm like, no, I told him I bought him turkey and I bought him some uh, yogurt, you know, for him because I, I'm grateful that I have enough money that I can spare some turkey. And he got mad at me. I'm like, when are you going to learn that, that we all win? We can all win. Why are like you mad at like me? Like game theory and zero sum right, and all right. this kind of stuff. I said, let's That's... take a quick... Oh, go ahead, Rafael. Yes. I mean, let's do a break. And then there's a few things to address here. Uh, partially just what you're mentioning about the whole zero sum mentality and, you know, the storytelling. I, yeah. I think Theo already touched upon this. So, yeah, we'll get into that right after the break. So, Jim, let us know what we're going to play. I actually have no clue. <laughs> I sent you links. I have been push, get, trying to get Thea on for months, like straight up. This I is like the it. third time. So whatever I picked was probably like six months ago or something. But I know it was cool music and made me think of her. So that's all, all right. I know. Then, then enjoy the surprise. Welcome back to Team Rabbit Hole with Thea. Well, not that only is that so a great happy. song. Yeah, I was like, there's a reason I picked that. It's in her range. Like, Thea can really sound like that Madonna track. Plus, it's very Hollywood to me and feel good. I don't know if there's a lot of levels to it. But, um, yeah, hopefully you enjoyed that. Jim is my fractalization of, like, hitting on the, on the head. The perfect song. We had talked about the song. He said he... Um, listen to this song on the radio and say oh she would do uh, legit this is one of my favorite songs to sing um at karaoke but yeah perfect song that's what's up yeah and i did have a chance it's funny um I, because we smoked dmt before i went to australia and when i came back is when we went uh maybe we went to karaoke on the front end and it was the dmt time but so like in like november um but the point is i had i had smoked weed and i wasn't used to it at that point or something weird was happening it was just potent cali weed or something and i had like insane migraine i even like had that like pass out on the on your floor so uh it's interesting um because i, I, I didn't get to you watch to pass out in my car <laughs> yeah i was like were, what was so crazy was real man well, there was. I think I had stayed up all night in the airport before coming to LA, or something weird. Uh, so I was just out of it in general, with all the traveling um, to go from Michigan to Chicago to LA and then to Australia. So anyway, um, but yeah, I remember hearing like I had my head down and I was thumbsing up you at the at the bar or whatever. But I was definitely like nauseous and stuff. It was not a good look. So um, I'm kind of. I mean, you, we talk a lot when we talk. Uh, Thea and I would talk about Buddhism, Christianity, video games, simulation, kind of all sorts of stuff. Um, something I wanted to say about uh, it's not like nothing too profound, but um, about Cain and Abel is I've heard an interpretation about that being like agrarian societies versus nomadic, kind of like hunter gatherers, and it's like. Yeah, you could just hunt something and kill it and donate it to God, I guess. Or you can, like, tend a garden and give him your best shit. Um, 
uh, maybe I'm flip-flopping those two, but the point is, um, yeah, that might be a metaphor of like a certain time shift in consciousness. In any event, what would you guys would like to discuss? I want to talk about, well, no, that was, I was going to go back to in that time period, if you had given the first fruits, that means you were, you were stable, right? Don't you think? You were stable and you were selfless. So it's like, I'm not going to, I don't have to win this. I mean, it's kind of like in Final Fantasy VII where you get to decide who gets all the hit points, right? With your group. So you could have one person like Cloud just slashing away and everybody else is doing potions, but that's not going to get their HP up. So like there's a better way in which like you distribute it differently, the attention, I guess, or whatever, and everybody kind of wins. And I think that's maybe showing how, I mean, as, at an analogy level or whatever, it's like, yo, like don't just be that's so self-serving. talking about the, the trickle-down effect. The problem with the trickle-down effect is that it rarely works. Because you have to have selfless people preference. at the top. <laughs> That's exactly right. So, I mean, you can, the distribution of points, that means everybody hurts. That means some people get hurt more. So when those people continually get hurt more, they get a segregated a situation. There comes wars, genocide. Throughout history, all we've ever seen is genocide. And when I look at um, Warhammer 40K, all I see is the whole entire game is basically genocide. Genocide of each other, genocide of with factions, genocide. Scarcity of and resources. The scarcity of resources. We've all played these games. Um, Red Dead is the same way. We find gang mentality. By the time uh, Cain and Abel happened, you had Cain being Canaanites, right? Cana. So he had his own nation. All of a sudden, he becomes his own king, own feudal lord. We Nothing has changed. Nothing. So what can we learn from all that if nothing has changed? That's where, like, I want to answer Raphael and have a discussion with him. Like, knowing what you know, because he's a really learned man, really learned. Raphael, what do you think, after all that we know, what is our next step to trying to solve genocide? Well, that's a great question. <laughs> and uh, it's also kind of loaded because of what I may only presume, what I may have gleaned from, let's say, your assumptions regarding the current situation, seen from many different viewpoints, what is happening right now and has been for some time, but has been, let's say, catalyzed by the crisis, certainly may be seen and is uh, defined by quite some as genocide. Uh, both the medical aspect, let's say, of what is happening, the issues, you know, with, let's say, moving people around into places where then, like old people, you know, they may die, issues with testing, issues with potential vaccinations issues with just general mental health and crisis taken as a totality this may be seen you know may be interpreted as an attack against you know human consciousness and life in general although of course simultaneously it is the chance i mean it is called the corona to for everyone to reclaim their own authority so meaning uh, taking up their own crown for themselves 
and not outsourcing that responsibility to another anymore, especially if they finally realize that in many different ways they got abused because uh, they have not been diligent and discerning enough and uh, also have, you know, shut off access uh, to their emotions, many of these things. So um, I would say there, is, there are many, uh, many potential issues uh, existing here at the same time. However, they may also be tackled simultaneously. So because you mentioned that word and that's just the associations that um, I've heard in that regard. Number one, the biological aspect. Number one, the technological aspect also with like, you know, frequency. There's many other aspects, of course, but also frequency and at least certain bandwidths of 5G. And even I have heard stories like locally, individually from, you know, basically children, uh, you know, falling flat on the floor because they turned on some advanced 4G slash 5G cell as a testing. Um, so I want to say there's many things in parallel. However, what I also see is that to the degree that individuals then, let's say, reassess the threat. I would like to go back to, you know, David Icke, problem, reaction, solution, Hegelian dialectic, however you want to call it. Um, and oftentimes a certain threat is presented and the solution to that threat. However, I would uh, strongly um, suggest that uh, the suggested threats oftentimes are not really the important threats. The real questions are not being asked. The real threats are not being displayed uh, in the frontline newspaper. So this requires an individual uh, reassessment and not to see threats and attacks everywhere, but just, you know, even on an objective level, like what is a toxin to my body? What is beneficial to my body and my life and my well-being? Um, and this what is what may be happening right now. Individuals are even organizing, but most importantly, I would say more and more are coming to an internal decision within themselves because up to this point, many have not really polarized as Ra would say. So they have not really used the catalyst yet to make a clear and conscious decision if they want to go the, let's say, love, light, uh, self-responsibility and freedom path, or if they want to go the control freak uh, domination scarcity path. And um, yeah, it's time to polarize. That's what I'd say. That's a really good point. Polarization is it's hard for so many people because polarization means that they would have to choose something that they held on to a belief structure. For instance, like many people have this idea that pro-life is uh, threatening to their lifestyle, their life path. And, but in order for them to understand, they've had to move towards the center, which is being more empathetic. They themselves wouldn't do it, but there's a bigger understanding of, I would not do, choose this, but I can understand how somebody could choose it. And we've talked about this a little with Buddhism and the yin-yang and stuff, um, just the binary nature duality. Um, Thea, what are your, what's your idea in terms of polarity in general, in terms of a, like a part of the substrate of reality? I talked to my daughter. My daughter's 12, and she's struggling with um, her anger, which is sadness in disguise, right? Um, the polarization is more like a spectrum, I would say. And 
as an artist, uh, I think of uh, polarization and spectrum as more like numbers. Somebody who um, uh, I really admired developed what's called the Likert scale. The Likert scale um, is a numerical value uh, that can persist uh, to this day. So somebody would ask a question and rate it one to seven, because seven is a really good number for spectrum data. The, the easiest one is a yes or no. The next one, of course, follows the Fibonacci sequence, which is three, and then it goes to five, right? It's just a really good way for us to kind of judge your temperature. Temperature is another gauge in how we can see disease or we can see, you know, other, you can just measure things. For me, spectrum polarization and the yin and yang give us a spectrum of our lives that we can regulate like a temperature control or thermostat. Um, we don't often understand that we're just conscious cars and we have so many systems that we don't even think about that are regulating for us because we've computerized everything. Well, our body has done the same thing. It's an autonomous system, it's a closed system. Uh, you know, it's made up of different materials. The organs do its thing. It's all compartmentalized. We have to have water like, uh, like um, a car needs petrol. You know, so if we think of our, if we simplify ourselves and understand in the yin and yang system, in this toroidal system, in this fountain system, man, just go with the flow. It, it, it can't be this difficult. You know, I know that Haley understands this. You understand this, that in the Buddhist ideal, the let others voluntarily evolve is the hardest thing for contemporary humans. For others to evolve at their own time in their own space, like the there's a there's a plant there's a plant that's a bamboo and it takes nine years underground um seven to nine years to grow and then in the next three months it shoots up like 90 feet up in the air so you know how long did that bamboo actually grow you know was it the three months that you could actually see it or was it the seven years the nine years that it took for it to get up the rocket speed just like we launch um spacex you know the dragon up into space sometimes it takes an, an enormous amount of velocity in order to go from one spectrum to the other we're just dialed we're dialed to 11 sometimes uh via spinal tap Sometimes we just look at like a rainbow uh, slice of the color that we can see through the prism of light. What we're seeing is math, but we don't actually see it in our heads. Some of us, because we recognize the code, the coordinates that purple is a certain thing, uh, hertz um, or frequency, uh, red is a different one. That's what we can see the most. You know, some of us see in different math, but the entire world is math. It's just like looking at code to me. Right. It's funny. There's a, I haven't seen it fully yet, but I've seen other videos by Dan Winter um, about kind of the math of the matrix and spirit and ascension and things like that. I'll have to send you a link. It's really fascinating because it seems like there's an objective reality, but then one's perspective, i.e. one's character skewing 
just to make the dynamos of the game play out because it seems I don't know if it's necessary, but it seems we've chosen uh, a dynamic in which um, antagonism and and drama and you know uh, suspense and tension and then relief and through release as opposed to just everything being awesome all the time is Maybe preferred. Turn this uh, yeah, around because we've been discussing this and this directly relates to the whole um, game story, let's say. So um, I've been with a few friends, let's say on a on a mountain, and mainly we were just you know like uh, how do you even say that? Not not visiting the mountain. You don't walk them, not not climbing the mountain either, but you know like walking around there, whatever. Hiking. Uh, yeah, hiking, right? Hiking. Oh, that, that's that really a vocabulary that's kind of far from me, but hiking, yeah, I'm aware of that term. So, um, anyways, you know, and then playing music, whatever, and then we discussed, like, oh, let's maybe play a game. And someone had some games or whatever, and we briefly talked about it. Anyhow, then, you know, we weren't focused enough, whatever, busy with cooking and so on. And um, then I said, okay, actually, let's restart a pen and paper role playing game group because I did that, like, as a teenager, let's say, for a few years. And um, why, actually? Because I discussed with a dear friend of mine and we talked about, you know, what games are there. You, know, you have Monopoly, you have, like, really simple games, like, I don't know, you, Uno or however you would call it, and, like, simple card games, or you can play poker, whatever. But then you look at these games, and most of them either, of course, are very limited in their scope and in their mechanics. You know, it's part of the game that it's limited, right? And then also, um, so it's a finite state system, let's say, in technical uh, computer terms, um, which is fine. However, also, most usually, it is about um, the individual players opposing each other in some way, shape or form. And uh, so then we said, yeah. actually, we want to have a player, quote unquote, player versus environment system. And then I was thinking, well, especially if you're in a group of, not sure how to say that, but like, you know, interesting individuals and dear friends, imaginative, creative individuals, I would say the very best thing you can play is something akin to pen and paper role-playing games. Yeah? So um, anyhow, so that's that's what's going to happen. And I just wanted to connect this because there at least you have the chance to have like a, a quote-unquote player versus environment uh, situation where number one, the game master represents potential opposition or strife or cataclysm in form of the world and non-player characters. However, then depending on the imagination of the group, you could also very well play something akin to a peaceful campaign. And we were joking when we pre-discussed like yesterday or something. And someone was like, oh, maybe the ecosystem is failing and we need to collect plants or something. And I was like, yeah, sure. You, you can totally do your, you know, like uh, uh, eco mission campaign and you have to... Uh, uh, gate yourself to different planets and collect all the right plants to uh, restore your home planet ecosystem you know that is well within the scope of possibility however of course most games if not specifically made for children or with that uh, idea in mind have a default setup of great uh, you know strife conflict suspense and opposition and yes, even within the oh yeah and even within the campaign setup i did now it also totally starts with cataclysm and so on um, also, in a sense, I think this may have many <laughs> levels of reasoning, but this whole idea of resets. So this particular story that I'm creating would also start with this kind of a reset or start, but yeah, after the reset. But then the thing is that we, even now I would contend, we are shortly after a reset and potentially even before that, there may have been a few more resets. And even in the Bible, they essentially talk about 
a reset, right? Um, and this may be, you know, a good process actually in some instances, especially if you take like God's view. And if it is really true that, you know, at one point there were only abominations and so on, and God is like, okay, I'm just going to flush the toilet, you know, <laughs> if you can really see it from the highest level, you know, like, why not? It's all fine. Um, however, I would also say that especially now we are upon a time where we can make a choice that well, whilst we can still play that in computer games and maybe also through them learn that in this, let's say, physical, somewhat physical life we call, uh, you know, normal reality, maybe we don't need to reset ourselves uh, every 50 or 100 years and don't need to go on rampaging and destroying heritage and cultures and buildings and civilization just so we have something to rebuild because that's profitable. So, um, but have exciting. you played Grand Theft Auto? Yeah. Like if oh, you yeah, just sure. sit around, like it gets boring. I think it's somewhere where we want well, stimulation. Yes, and this yes, is how we decided is, to come about it. Yeah, sure. But the thing is, well, no, no, no. I would say that's the very uh, deteriorated form of it. Because as Bill Hicks points it out, you know, the choice yeah. between uh, love or fear. And to do what? You know, explore infinite space, inner and outer, together, forever. And I think there's enough to do there that we really don't need those plot devices in this layer of reality anymore. But we're, see what programmed, I'm we're programmed through these games. And even we see this in The Walking Dead, we have this idea of what the po uh, apocalypse is going to look like and what we're going to need. We're going to need medicine. We're going to need bone meat, sharp, blah, 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 all the way down. But what people don't ever think about are the people who just lay down their weapons and go, this is inevitable. I'm just, I'm not going to fight. I'm, I'm not going to fight. No one ever talks about the death part, that 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 we come from soil. We we nurture the plants that are living, walking around right now. So, what is so wrong with ceasing to exist? You know, like when I think about my uh, Lake LA, I'm I'm writing a I'm writing a book. I'm writing a a story about a place in. Los Angeles. And one of the things that is paramount about it is mindful suicide. Mindfully being, you know, like right now, there are laws in California, Oregon, in Belgium, and I think in Germany, where you have dignity with dying if you have a terminal illness. You know, what What Jack, Dr. Jack Kevorkian was trying to do. Do you have a right to terminate your gameplay? You have the right. And, and we have the right to always stop the game we do but for some reason you know we keep playing we keep robbing and stealing in gta or you know like i'll, I'll go into um uh, red dead and finish my task because i have to and one of the tasks is you know sometimes get into a bar fight or you know get drunk on moonshine and I'm like that's interesting that we're programming humans to exist just to just be and to just keep going on instead of going, you know what, uh, I'm going to believe in reincarnation. Because the patriarchy erased the idea that there was ever such a thing called reincarnation. Now, I will say that I really had a taste for reincarnation when I bought my Diablo 2 account. Uh, I exchanged from Craigslist or one of those things my iPhone for somebody's computer that had an account with a million dollars and at like a level 70 because I, you know, I cheated. I just wanted the character because I was exhausted and I didn't want to, I didn't want to grind. I just knew how the mechanics played. 
And I was like, this feels like reincarnation. This is an account. This is a game that I didn't really earn, but I, I somehow know how this all works because all the maps are the same. Everything's the same. What if, what if humans, because we can see trauma 13 generations back and it'll not an uh, Scientology kind of hallmark in Dianetics is actually being studied in major universities now, which makes me cackle that people who are studying this stuff would never believe that the author was L. Ron Hubbard, right? No way. So science is becoming an interesting little pariah themselves where we are really in the search of immortality. And I don't know why. I don't know why we are in the search of immortality and why we can't just go. There huh. is an answer. Yeah. Why? I, I would say so, Jim, I would answer this with, um, the it's a presupposition, Christ right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Like... I mean, I would answer it with the dark crystal skexies basically. So, you know, a faction, however you want to define that an individual being so, you know, traumatized, all of the other things and then disconnected from their own divinity that they don't know anymore that they're immortal. I mean, I was in that position too at some point. I chose that very interesting uh, experience only for a few years um, until I realized then, then I was very relaxed. Um, and it cha that presupposition changes the gameplay entirely. If you think there's, oh, yes. you know, limited time and collect all the toys or get, you know, if you're the missions in Grand Theft Auto or whatever, where it's like, you have three minutes to go across town and do this shit. It's like, there's such a more, you're being driven by something so much more Although, ferocious. Than, even in GTA, oh, even in GTA, you always resurrect and quite quickly, I think. So, and with little penalty, I think even, yeah, you lose money. Yeah. I mean, so what, I mean, <laughs> money or your life, what would you prefer? Oh man, I resave. I just reload. I'm, I'm a cheater. I don't actually die. I always reload. <laughs> That's a good way to do it. Uh, yeah, I'm like, I already know I'm going to die. That's, that's our advanced knowledge. Therefore, you know, it's almost like I'm going to tidy my room before uh, and give away my treasures the Swedish way or the German way before I'm dead so that no one has to haggle over them and, and you know, muck about. And that's the next thing that's also reflected, at least in what Boshar shares about dying, actually. I find it highly interesting and it just, it just, to me at least, makes perfect sense. Unless individuals want to stick believing that they're disempowered or, you know, whatever spirit or God is confusing them into making the wrong choice upon death or something. Whilst I understand these perspectives certainly do exist and therefore also realities where that may be experienced in some way, shape or form, I am very much of the... Um, perspective that at the moment of death, the very latest, we are actually completely free. Even if then again, there may be some haunted ghost type aspect because we really rather led a bad and traumatized life that needs to solve something. But in terms of essence, I don't really believe you can be stuck also because time and space are very different, you know, all of that stuff. So <clears throat> um, I wanted to get into the whole um, reloading before you die thing. So also this yes. is shared that um, Bashar basically says, and I may even have experiences, I'm not sure, although with, I guess, potentially lesser dangerous situations, that um, let's say you are walking a tightrope or something, that's how I would now describe it, and then you feel like you could fall off, and uh, if you would fall, 
let's say you would most certainly die. But instead of falling off, and I'm not sure, I'm, I guess this is only a biological mechanism, but I'm assuming there is more behind it. You get an extreme rush of adrenaline, you don't fall off, and somehow, you know, you remain on the thing and you can complete your task. What if, actually, you totally screwed up, you fell off whatever you did, just in terms of mechanics and physical reality calculations, because that's just what happens, and, you know, you weren't quick enough or whatever, you made a wrong choice, you totally fall off, in that moment you realize, oh, I'm going to die, but that's totally not in what I want to do and in my plan right now. So either I'm now going to accept, uh, you know, a lesser damage, or e either I'm just going to fall, not take any damage or, you know, like to my body, or um, I'm going to accept it because it's part of my life path that now I have a broken leg or something or even other things, right? And I want to experience how I can heal and unbelievable things, right? Something like that. Or... I can say, oh, that's totally not <laughs> what was in the plans. So I'm just reinitializing myself 15 seconds back. I maybe get a strange feeling or a rush, but I'm totally fine and just continue on. And same thing with, yeah, like I said, when you actually die, that you always get a choice. And I even recently heard a story by someone, of course, I'm not remembering now, but in, in the sense of like, okay, you're dying and you always get a choice to come back. I think maybe even Dave or someone recently mentioned this. So, um, yeah. So if you just don't completely ignore all of these accounts, then at least to me, the situation seems pretty clear. One may still be afraid or assume something else or an even grander, you know, evil deception or something, um, which on many levels, I'm always a contender that there is in a sense, at least partially. But on that level and talking about that realm, I, yeah, I don't see it. And I also don't see any practical purpose in assuming it in terms of any degree of then actual disempowerment or non-sovereignty. Well, that could be something like, uh, I mean, you it's guessing the presuppositions, like we have animal parts of our humanity and it's like, there's going to be fight or flight stuff. I mean, just in our DNA, that's a level we're going in a certain direction. So even though what you're talking about is like top tier designer level awareness, like it seems like he's reverse just, engineering that i love it right yeah exactly so it seems like the like what we go through is like i guess our attachment to the game features but what i kind of said earlier with the plot device i mean it seems like all suffering which is like the buddhist thing it's like all is suffering it's like it's in order to create plot devices i think that's what it, that's what i was trying to say earlier and maybe that is a mentality we can shift and that's part of the yugas or whatever. So at some point, everyone's like, everything's perfect. I want some chaos. And they're like, everything's fucking chaotic. We just want some whole, you know, unity. What the fuck? Um, so that's just part of the flavor, you know, the iteration of the game we want to play at this point. I'm not sure. Well, that's what's just fascinating with me. And when I was just kind of comparing the, the die roll kind of is a time template where you can slow down time slow down bullet time it's like a, a mathematical representation in the here and now of of what we were talking about in the matrix and the 360 degree camera that they uh installed for that revolutionized the industry and when we do it in front of the camera like i'm shooting um the show uh, in the u.s called the morning show with Jennifer Aniston and um, Reese Witherspoon, 
sometimes those takes that you see in the edited version take four or five, sometimes 25 times, you know, to get it right. But what is presented is a seamless. So. Well, that's one thing I think it's funny that you manifested because when we were talking, uh, just driving around about how you manifest that life where it's like, it's a magic show of consciousness, Hollywood. Like they, it's a magic it takes, show. I mean, it's a lot of, of effort. <laughs> exactly. It's like a lot of people coming together to create sub-realities that somehow mimic other realities and engross our attention just enough where we suspend our disbelief and we enter into them at the archetypal, like psychic level, which probably has interesting impacts all the way up in terms of like our buddhic body and all this kind of stuff uh, our aura um but something i named this episode after was ready player one uh what and this is kind of like just yes. switch, switching gears completely no. but i'm kind of curious what your interpretation of that uh film is you said it was one of your favorites i've seen it two or three times i think now it's good it's a spielberg movie that i dig i mean he's not bad spielberg but it's like his most recent kind of a uh, foray I went in it kind of vanilla. First of all, I, I had no idea that the book was written in 1994 until later. And then when I find, when I saw the trailer, my mind was blown and I immediately talked to you about it. I'm like, this is what I see, you know, in, uh, in addition to like the Lego movie when, hi, bye. Uh, sorry, <laughs> Bradley was uh, distracting me. Um, when Tell the Lego up. movie. Hi, Bradley, says the boys. So, and the audience, sorry, the audience. When I saw Ready Player One and I saw that people were living in a shit show in order to earn credits in a digital world, that blew my mind because Spielberg has within him this like forethought. I mean, he created AI with Haley Joe Osment. And when you see, Haley Joe Which I now. saw on Mushrooms, by the way, right? back in the day. That shit's gnarly. To see him and to see the, him as a robot kid and then to see him as like a parody of himself on The Boys by Amazon is the stuff of like, am I dreaming this? Am I, am I, am I so like conscious that all of this is so connected that they signed up for this account that they they somehow we don't know how it works yet but somehow we signed up for this life we are just comic book characters that wrote our endings and sometimes like like stan lee one of the best feminists in the world that was created for us my god you know did um, did alternative versions and alternative universes were just just my goodness like you're a fractalization of 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 uh, Bradley you're the romance uh, romanticism that uh, in a platonic way that I don't get from anybody else like the song that you uh, played for me is like oh somebody my my high school boyfriend um gave me a mixtape and that was in it you know that's that's the kind of romanticism that everybody needs and and gathering those types of people who are fractalizations of the person who you were paired with last time last life or future life they're all swimming about us you know and connecting with people which is why i think that you really are fascinated with other people and gravitate towards people is because they're so hyper aware that that person holds a shard a crystal of of you and you want to find it 
and you mind that person so hard because you're delighted when you find yourself, you know? And so I feel like in Ready Player One, when people in the digital world find themselves and then in the real world find themselves, it was, it was just an interesting uh, show of this is how it is, but it's not. We just don't have those funky goggles and we don't live in the real, we don't live in the virtual world, but we live in a virtual world. Like what we see in our inside, me as a perfect example, when I go to the mirror and I see what I look like in my avatar that was given to me, it makes me uncomfortable because that's not who I am inside. But this is what the game gave me for my advantage. And we've talked about this. If in 2020, I would have told you what is the best setup character class you can have, you would be female, you would be Asian, you would be American, you would be from California, hopefully from Los Angeles or San Francisco. And you could try, you, you get access codes nonstop. When I, when I, worked into Dubai and I traveled abroad, man, having that American passport and being a female and Asian got me more privilege than anything that I could have worn. It's funny because uh, I guess I agree with you. Yeah, that's what we're talking about. Um, we have to just kind of remind ourselves that the stats that we're playing with are like what we want for the gameplay, kind of like in the D&D thing Raphael is going to be doing. It's like scenarios come up and we there's D and D characters. Yeah. And, and the other just thing for the record, to... we're going to totally not going to play D and D. We're going to oh, play right. uh, fate core or a variant of that, which I can highly suggest to anyone interested in pen and paper role playing games. Check out fate. We're core. just all role playing. Yes, absolutely. Oh yeah, totally. And fate core is Some actually of... free. And the interesting part just to also tie it back into the whole thing we've been discussing is that there it's actually inbuilt into the mechanism of Fate Core that you do actually a type of collaborative storytelling. So it's really not engineered towards dice orgies or anything like that, but just towards yeah storytelling and having a fun time, including the ideas of what you mentioned, that drama and trouble and all of that, they're just plot devices. It's funny because so, so... uh, I'll just say this really quickly. In Australia, I did it my first D&D game while I was there, and like it's funny because you could see some people like escaping totally through it sociologically it was fascinating but it was also fun as a gamer um but you see some people being like you know oh i have virtues that i want to exercise like i was being some like dragon bard or some shit and then whereas some people are like i'm sabotaging the party and i'm you know like they're chaos oh, agents and totally shit. is this really yeah. who you are or is this like an alternate version of what you can't do in real life like it gets really funny and really yeah, weird. Like antagonism gets displayed you know in the role play then and maybe quite dramatic and deadly in player at least <laughs> i'm almost 45 and i've been playing a campaign game with myself because when i was 15 years old I ran the school snack bar, and as Jim mentioned later on, I kept doing that. I was a cheerleader, and on movie sets, I am exactly that. I run the snack bar for our casting crew of about 200 people who can't step off set for even a moment just to grab a drink and via COVID. So I'm there um, giving them, you know, emotional support and 
you know, something that everybody loves. Everybody loves snacks. So I really haven't changed since I was 17. You know, I, it's amazing that I've leveled up this quickly to the highest, you know, who, who else can say that they make, you know, a stupid amount of money, almost six figures being the snack bar lady. You took it to the highest class possible. Uh, it starts yes. off with like a wooden sword. And now you have like the buster yes. sword. So um, something that kind of came to mind with the Ready Player One is that the whole point is like it's about this like kind of recluse genius guy who programs reality and then, pe you know, he passes away and then people have the privilege of dissecting and exploring his reality. That's kind of like find... what God did. Yeah, that's what I was going to get at. It seems when we're saying we're like here to explore each other, it seems like we're we have it's funny because I think we're exploring ourselves simultaneously. Yeah. So it's like we find ourselves fascinating, but then we can find others depending on personality type and stuff uh, fascinating. And then just the whole situation. Um, it really is a mind fuck. He created, yes. But he also, if we're going to go God ways, we created God in order for us to look at a 3d version of ourselves to understand what, what a misunderstanding is. For instance, the creator, the archivist, the person who created the Ready Player One was extremely disappointed. I think that's one of the most powerful emotions that drives people mad or it drives them to greatness is disappointment. So he was disappointment, um, disappointed in being uh, not only um, buffed by this woman who ends up being, you know, married to his best friend. So there's this this idea, yes, that he's trying to, you know, be recluse and, you know, unravel his life. But I think that at the end, what Stephen really constantly asks us is, are you connecting on the real real? Are you guys connecting on the real real to the point where you don't have any misunderstandings? Um, not says, um, love is not another word for understanding. Plus, uh, there's elements of that game that I think are cool. Um, I felt like just the fact that there's people on their individual searches um, teaming up, and ultimately that shows that like people. I mean, that you know, Team Rabbit Hole is kind of this idea. It's like I'm obviously on a journey of gnosis at some level. Clearly, you guys are individually, and then when we start finding the others where they're similar, like it's funny how crews or even like teams i don't know how you want to describe it like a symbol based off of the geometry of their interests and their direction in reality um and on the one hand maybe it doesn't ever matter but it seems like it makes the game more interesting on the anti-version i worked on the purge anarchy and talking to james um defazio defranco um, he says, I was really inspired by the 70s movie, The Warriors, where they have gangs. Warriors. Yeah, there you go. So what we find in that prevalency, that persistency, is that people will always find each other. They will always find each other. And what they do with it is their business, right? That's that's what we learn in gameplay, that the things that are similar that can predict history like what's the next genocide what is the next fear group that tries to erase another group off the planet is something that we all need to talk about and how we prevent that how do we make everybody equal under the sun so Raphael, i hope you had a really good time do you have any other questions for me 
Oh, well, I definitely had a really great time. Um, <laughs> I do uh, assume that, you know, a positive outlook and uh, knowing oneself more and more certainly will lead us down the golden path, the really golden path. And uh, all the details uh, truly shall reveal themselves in time. I mean, it reminds me a little of that scene in Ready Player One where it's like nobody could figure out that race and then he kind of just thinks of it differently. I think that's kind of where we're at. I mean, even the Bible, it's like, oh, whoever knows the mark of the beast, it's a human number. Here's a riddle. I think a lot of us are kind of playing riddles in the dark. And ultimately, I'm not sure where it goes because, I, like I said, I don't want to think it's based on struggle and like, but like you were saying earlier, like a war is constant. It seems like a theme. Simply put, as you know, Jim, you really... and I think you've mentioned, it's just about telling ourselves and each other a different story. And again, I would oh, like to reiterate. you you're breathing? Say what? You think that's air you're breathing? Oh, right. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> Not. <laughs> we take this full body simulation pretty fucking seriously. We grind pretty hard. That's a hard thing for humans, isn't it? It's like uh, they're so attached to the corporal body that you will do anything to protect it or anything to bash it and to get to the next life. It's just a strange kind of thing. You'll lie, you'll cheat. You know, we watch all of our politicians instead of, like I said, you know, thinking about the whole, the people who really depend on the leadership of each and every one of the countries, we're all united. What the coronavirus did for us is give us a common enemy, which is what I went back to 40K. The Necrons were looking for a common enemy because their people were fighting against themselves so much that they looked to the heavens in order to find a common adversary in order to unite the people. And so that's what the king did. And so watching humans repeat this history 60 million years later again is interesting to me that we haven't sorted it out yet. Well, Raphael, I'm kind of curious where you think the story goes because, I mean, coming from a more Judeo-Christian thing, I feel like we're getting to a point where one of two possibilities happens. Either we straight up like can't handle it and like gods have to intervene or whatever and they're like yo 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 take away the keys from these kids let's show them what's up or we have this weird kind of like shift in consciousness which i think is happening where people start trying to play the game a little differently albeit it's still within the context of the game so it's like i don't know it's kind of like i mean like neo at the beginning of the matrix where it's like oh shit i'm interacting on a different level than all these other monkeys because i'm realizing the fourth wall exists within that reality um but i'm kind of curious where you guys might think this all ends up yeah well if we do become more like neo and we've discussed this then well everything is possible of course and what direction to go further up and further in i would say as the motto goes um it is really i mean it always has been up to us and especially up to each and every one individually and only speaking for myself and the feeling I've had pretty much since I've incarnated is quote unquote this time we're gonna make it and um, yeah if not or whatever or grand destruction anyhow we're all immortal so I'm not really worried for anyone but uh, if I can have any say or choice in it an action in it 
then certainly I will act towards my excitement, which in this case includes not completely resetting this place and uh, not having a surveillance state or any of these things, but uh, certain things being sorted out and understood right now, obviously. Uh, quite a few unexpected things happening as they are every day. And then ultimately, uh, yeah, a more sovereign and uh, peaceful humanity. Ultimately, this may take some time. The process may be highly interesting. And again, I also suspect that many of us actually are here to witness exactly this process, which has been going on for some time. And certainly this yeah. year, although we may have a slightly different assessment in terms of what the exact threat or even common enemy may truly be, but what we can certainly agree on is that it has greatly accelerated that process. Thea, got any parting thoughts? I, listening to Raphael, I had a vision of the ley lines. And at some point, I'd like to have a discussion with him and what he believes in ley lines, because really what I went after, after I realized that the earth had these magnetic fields, um, I took it upon myself to just go, why, why wouldn't I just go find some obelisks? Why are they here? Um, and he was talking about, I am my sovereign person. I'm like, yeah, but don't you think that the coronavirus is the universe trying to do some genocide cleansing, you know, should we oh. allow people to do the mass? Should we not allow them? Well, now that we have new information, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm just like, those are the reactions that I got from his, his, uh, parting thoughts. And I'm like, wow, I just unpacked a lot of information from that. Raphael. So if I may just put it briefly, and this is not about, you know, me or anyone being right or whatever, I'm just, you know, bluntly and as succinctly as I can want to share my summary perspective on, you know, what's going on. We can talk about things like event 201, the simulation exercise. We can talk about the historical argument between Anton Bichamp and Louis Pasteur as to what germs actually yes. are, to what degree viruses can be detected and so on and so forth. What I also always love to bring up is the idea that unless I can be completely sure I'm not buying any ideas of act of God or act of nature, especially if we know that there is, let's say, advanced technology. I'm not even talking about an engineered virus. Me individually, I'm not <clears throat> even sure of that. And from what I've heard, even those journalists really investigating and like writing to the labs and like kind of begging them, like, where's your isolate? Like, what's, you know, like, give us the real thing. Like, you're supposed to do this in quote unquote virology. And they haven't been supplied with proper samples and documentation. So um, that's not so much the thing for me. Also, because then you can always say insurance policy type wise. Oh, it's an act of God. I'm sorry. Your insurance doesn't cover this, you know, and apparently even with all the rioting and stuff like things along those lines happened. So what I would say is that certainly it is in a sense an attempt of, you know, genocide or whatever. Propaganda. Uh, sorry, say again. <coughs> and propaganda. Oh, that definitely. Um, but that the actual, let's say, threat of great threat to health uh, and to civilization certainly yes. is not the idea of a put in parentheses, potentially biologically transferable uh, thing that may or may not make you sick to varying degrees, which is, you know, the Pasteur concept. Um, but the real issue is really like in Dark Crystal, a type of uh, mind virus, but in this case, a real one, not fake, like in Dark Crystal, um, in a sense that uh, individuals being, you know, student fear, generally being very fearful for 
their life. And this brings it back to what you mentioned, uh, because if not everyone on a baseline level were afraid of death and unsure about what happens and so on, people would say, okay, whatever, let's just, I don't know, keep going or whatever. And if really, let's say, whatever number of people die, and I'm not a friend of that in general, but just saying from that perspective, yeah, then people could just say, oh, well, they're just in the afterlife now, whatever they're reincarnating, they're perfectly fine. And uh, we don't have to be so overly cautious, but um, without even really knowing the intensity of the potential threat, right? Um, so what we have now is because people have this baseline level of great fear of uh, death, and it's so heavily propagandized, yes. and you get the numbers read to you every day, even although they have really absolutely no individual understanding or exposure to the threat or understanding of the medical procedures involved, the testing involved, all these kind of things, because it is now being put on top level one as what is threatening your life instead of, let's yes. say, yeah, corrupt, corrupt gov <laughs> instead of corrupt government or, you know, whatever, a completely unfair economic structure and all of that, you put on number one, whatever uh, CV, yeah? yeah, and uh, then you can completely direct, you know, the energy and ideas of the masses insofar what what I find particularly devious, honestly, is that the deliberate and conscious, let's say, destruction and disintegration of social life and the family unit, although I'm a great uh, fan of hermit approaches, but in general, that is being held high as self-responsibility. And then you had the cases, just to make a case in point, where they really said on public TV, oh, and please tell your small children that they really shouldn't visit their uh, grandmother because they may contract whatever this is, and basically they're going to be the cause of their grandparents dying. And for me, that's where I draw the line and say, I'm sorry, but uh, that's not okay to say Ooh. ever. Yeah. And, um, but also then looking closer into what this actually is, it's a complete misguidance. And the real problem for old individuals in that case, more is uh, if they maybe get tested, then maybe they get all kinds of drugs already. They are maybe somewhat damaged. And then on top of that, they're in the hospital or whatever, and they can't get any visitors. Oh, they're going to feel just great and their immune system is going to flare right up when they know that right. for the next three weeks, they aren't allowed to see anyone, right? So um, that's, that's where I just worst. think everyone really, uh, you know, one can get into different aspects and let's say even arguments or whatever or variants of science and differentiate it all out. But what I would really like to get back to is even or hope that people can still feel this like really immediate, also visceral feeling of their body and their emotions. And for me, that includes that if I can help it, I'm not going to take one extra breath uh, through a mask because that's just constricting the airflow. You know, same thing with like, if people tell me you can't meet anyone and so on. However, I don't see people dying like flies or whatever. And I'm also going to be like, well, you know, maybe there's a value in community, seeing your friends, love, touch, all of these things. But because of the propaganda, both in terms of emergency room and then all the zombie movies, people are super, and monk and so on, super afraid of germs and all of that. And I can even understand that perspective. It's just that because I've gained more perspective and now see that uh, quite differently and much more differentiated. And um, so last point. It comes down to the real, let's say, attack that I could see is more because of, you know, social disintegration, loss of social cohesion and all kinds of pressures just because people uh, 
can't live freely and now with travel restrictions and so on that's a big issue at the same time i'm not saying that you know spending some time alone with your family at home may have been great for many to even see if they even like their wife and children i think that's awesome yeah, right. and that you don't need to have a meeting every day and fly around the planet not even worried about emissions but just because it makes no sense and it's exhausting right so that's all great things so I think now we have at the great, let's say, crossroads in a sense. So I see strong forces that even plan this and want to use this for very particular ends. However, like at the, the same time, branded. oh, that's a great one. Yeah. And at the same time, I can see that we're just now at a crossroads and at a platform where if we recognize and can differentiate and discern just for ourselves, where is the love and where is the fear for ourselves and make the appropriate choices then we can use this elevated platform and increase an overall energy within the change mechanism, let's say, or X factor that's available in reality right now. And yeah, just, you know, create our own positive, loving, wonderful story or whatever else anyone listening individually prefers for themselves. You remind me of PETA in the Hunger Games. And uh, I, I, feel like, I feel like we're living in the Hunger Games. I'm going to uh, answer really quickly. Anja uh, asked in the messages, what is it like when we die? I'm going to just finish with this. I know we're, we're approaching or we're over our time, but imagine if, if that's okay. Are you guys okay with me talking yeah. about? Uh, yeah, of course, is a good preview, but uh, go for it. Um, the afterlife is an endless room that, seems white it just is and in the middle is a table like a moon shaped table half moon shaped table and there seems to be voices or beings although they don't really exist and i call it the exit interview in any professional uh, when you leave a company often hr human resources will ask a series of questions. Mostly they um, want to improve. They want to, what I call CYA, which is cover your ass, you know, just in case there's legalities. So when you die, I imagine that you sit at this table and they ask you like Buzzfeed questions uh, where like, do you prefer pudding over, you know, pie? and colors and this and that and some of the questions are absurd but what they're trying to do is congregate the next account for you and you're actually doing it you're like oh yeah i do prefer that oh yeah i do prefer that would that make you easier what are you supposed to learn in your next life that you didn't learn in this life and they'll ask you these questions and you only get a few answers because when you enter the womb to go back into life you're only remembering a few things, you know, loud sounds and bright lights, right? I think that's what it is. Uh, what are babies most afraid of? Uh, you know, um, like high Close encounters of a third kind stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so you get this exit interview and that kind of remakes your SIM account. So what the goal is, is to have every experience cataloged you know in like the matrix when we see the architect present to neo all of the reactions right we're just interested in how people react and 
that gives us a better idea on how to build a better world, right? How to build a better mousetrap. So I hope that answers your question, Anja. Thanks for the question. What happens when we die? If if I'm correct, if the um, Akashic records uh, that sometimes are available to me, you go into an exit interview and you try and find yourself so that you have a map to yourself. Some of the things that we find that we're surprised that we like taste-wise or we're fine pleasing are from a past life and trying to piece ourselves back together is a fun and interesting project which is called life so i hope that answers your question of what happens when we die and hope that helps um, people not to feel afraid because man death is so beautiful and it's so fun because what you're trying to do is write your own new comic book for the next life it's so exciting oh yeah so as you speak of it what i would like to ask then um, because what I am assuming now, in a sense, or uh, intuiting, maybe, others would say channeling, is uh, the idea that, because this is, in a sense, somewhat similar to what Dolores Cannon and Michael Newton report, so that is a certain consistency, which in my book, in these cases, is, let's say, a good indicator. However, what is not particularly mentioned is because I assume that even this experience, of course, the way we can even relay or, or understand or talk about it is really heavily anthropomorphized and let's say uh, uh, homo-centric in the sense that we talk about reviewing this life and then choosing a next yes, life. Yes, has to, yes. Homo-centric, exactly. yes. And I'm pretty sure that somewhere and probably everywhere in that white space, there's like a hyperportal invisible door that you can step through any time which would just bring you let's say even one layer one density higher where uh, you know you're free to move in any dimension incarnate anywhere or not incarnate or yes and that's where whatever the shiva comes from yes and that's when you go um go back to eastern asian religions and talk about the hinduism and being a cockroach and being a screw and like you 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 go back to these things, you choose your own adventure. This is just a choose your own adventure life. Right. And based on what, like I was, <laughs> I would, I was saying this to somebody and they kind of giggled, but they got it. I'm like, oh yeah, you know, like that person used to be a dog. And they're like, what? Like, yeah, that person used <laughs> to be a dog because they thought it would be so great. That was probably a human who thought it would be great to be lazing about and so on and so forth, but being able to not have sex anymore and being able to do absolutely nothing and having to take a shite for them, you know, not by themselves is a miserable life. And these are the things that we ask for, even on flippant, like for the people who aren't conscious enough to understand that this is what's happening, they'll say, oh yeah, do whatever. Well, what do you want to do? So zap your, your cockroach. And then the cockroach becomes you know consciences well why why is that it usually has to do with food related and safety related right so when somebody someone notices whatever being they are they notice that they want to be better than what they are or more comfortable what we call it the grass is always greener on the other side kind of thing they wish that and they start flowing that into their dna and so when they die and they carry that dna with them or they have a baby or they have sex with somebody they're carrying that dna within them you know to be whatever they thought would be more advantageous and that's where going back to the bible and like game theory right. is like what we're like i'm doing the full toroidal circle of why we're doing oh, yeah, good. Yeah, you know yeah. ready player thea 
like, okay, even once the progression you is illusionary that, as well. <laughs> yes. So when you do that kind of thought process of, huh, would it be better if I were da 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 da? Well, to me at this point, it would it was advantageous for me to be here for whatever reason. Maybe it's because I'm speaking to you. You know, it's advantageous for me to be exactly where I've been because I wished it. And people, if I could just like shake them and go, "You wished this," and they go, "No, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't wish this misery on myself. I didn't yeah. wish this cancer. I didn't wish this, 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 and this." And I go, "Did the cancer give you the golden ticket to finally wake the fuck up?" And live your life for no other reason, not for a paycheck. Did that do that for you? That's a good one. And you were able to give. Come on, that's what the lesson, all that buildup, all of the XP, all of the money that you saved, all the money you didn't have, that decimated your savings, and then finally you have some quality time, the love language that gives you the most bang for your. You had to suffer for all of that in order for what you wanted in that exit interview. Why don't you understand that you have asked for this? Embrace it. Embrace all of it. Suck it up with a straw, right? That's hard for people, though, Raphael. Oh, yeah. We know, however, as I always like to say, then with these things, wherever there may be an apparent uh, limitation or obstacle within human consciousness, Anyhow, we are only here to explore ourselves and within the role playing game. That's why we sent ourselves. I can only assume yes. to, you know, assist in the further development of the plot and most likely also to apply our own spin. Thank you so much, Jim. It was such yeah, a pleasure dude. talking about this. Earth school is a blast. Your team rabbit hole is fuck. OG all the way. I mean, she's a, uh, I don't know if, if what the word is, but on the meme page, she has like director access or whatever. The boss. The fuck yeah, me and her are the ones on it. So, um, yeah, I appreciate you giving us your time and perspective. We'll have to get you back on here. Uh, like I said, it's it's an earth school to trip. It feels like we're kind of talking about how to cram for the pop quiz on the back of a school bus, but it's always fun talking. And uh, hopefully, you and all yours out there in LA are having a good time. And um, yeah, I just hope that we keep talking and hanging out and stuff like that. Love you. Love you. Thank you so much, Thea. Thank you, Jim, as always. And thank you for joining us this time and listening. Enjoy yourselves. I'll say one thing quick. Uh, the song on the outro that I picked is from the Tron Legacy soundtrack. Not only did <laughs> I think you work with Daft Punk at some level with Sony or something, but it's yeah. also this uh, very cool. Um, and I work at Sony so now. Oh yeah, that's what's up. Um, yeah, it's just it's kind of the wrap up to the song. It's good electronic up meets kind of compositional truths, and it just made me think of you on another way, like level. Yay! Love you, love you. Radio Pocket.